0: Pastor Seth. I am not the normal speaker, though we haven't had a normal speaker in the past few weeks. Um, Pastor Andrew is actually away today, guest speaking at uh, one of our partner churches here over in New Jersey. And so, if you could keep him in your prayers as well. He left early this morning since it's a pretty long drive, but he's pretty excited to go preach there today. I will be continue this series um, that we've been going through, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue on in the chapter of Matthew. Uh, we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. If you don't know our Matthews, it's the first book of your New Testament after the good book of Malachi. Um... But Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. If you don't have a Bible, we have some pew Bibles located around. We're also going to have it up on the screen behind me. And if you can rise with me as we read the word of the Lord together, this is our act of worship. Um, To be honest, this is probably the most important part of this service. And hopefully you can glean much truth from the words that we're about to read for us today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, He said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we begin, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are reminded that you are good, so good to us, and again, as we have read your word, may it show us that Jesus has power over suffering and even death, and that we as your people may come to be reminded of that truth, we as our people may come to be changed by that and be transformed by these words and by the power and the person of Jesus and all that he does. And so be with us today, May your spirit spur our hearts. We just give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our brother Dan last week gave us an excellent exposition of Jesus casting out demons from demon-possessed men, highlighting for us Jesus' authority over demons and spirits, reminding us of Jesus' own spiritual authority. And we've been going through the past few weeks through a series reminding people of his authority both over physical sickness, over creation, over the spiritual realm. And today we'll be looking over his authority over suffering, ultimately in death. Next week our brother Paul will end us off reminding us of Jesus' authority ultimately over sin. And today's passage is a strange one because the pericope here is a combination story of two different healings. It's a format that you don't often see within the Gospel accounts, And whether if this is just a case of this this is just how the events transpired, that on the way Jesus had to just go heal someone else, or whether the Gospel authors want to point to a deeper idea, many scholars and commentators sort of swing in both directions. But I guess for the purpose of us today, we want to see the significance of the mingling of both the bleeding woman in the story, as well as what the story initially seems to be about the dying and dead girl. the structure for us today is to run through this pattern of escalation. It's a weird sort of idea to go through. But what you see in this story is really three characters that show an escalating pattern of suffering, faith, and healing that's ultimately centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Three characters that show an escalating pattern of suffering, faith, and healing that is ultimately centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The first character that we'll go through is the ruler who pleads before Jesus Christ reminding us of the suffering that is found in our mourning, pointing to Jesus as as the true comfort to our laments. The second person is this bleeding woman who touches the mere fringe of Jesus, reminding us of the suffering found in both physical ailments as well as communal and spiritual alienation, pointing to Jesus as what? The healer of both the physical and spiritual suffering. And finally, we have this dead girl who is, for all accounts, simply passive in all that she does and yet is the recipient of a gift so marvelous that reminds us ultimately that what? All suffering, comfort, and healing is either pointless in the coming of death or is purposeful in pointing towards a resurrection that is found only in Jesus so those are the sort of three characters and the structure for today that we sort of want to go through. So the first one, the ruler. The ruler who is mourning over his dead daughter, who comes with a humble and yet confident plea for Jesus to come and heal, walks away ultimately in the first part of this passage in comfort and assurance of a future healing. If you look with me to the first two verses here, verse 18 and 19, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. The ruler comes to Jesus and he seeks his audience. He doesn't declare anything crazy about Jesus. Some people, when they come to Jesus, they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. They acknowledge that he's the Christ. But this ruler comes kneeling before Jesus with a simple request, his daughter has died. Place your hand, your one hand actually in the Greek, on her so that she may live. Now this story is used in other gospel accounts and if you look in the Mark accounts, this ruler is denoted as a ruler of a synagogue. And so here we have a religious man, he's probably heard about Jesus, being a real, or being a religious leader, he's probably not the biggest fan of Jesus. And yet at this point, at this junction, what we have is this, that he's out of options. If you look in the Mark passage, what you can gather is that his daughter hasn't suddenly died, but rather has been ill at first. And so by this point in Matthew, when when the, when the author of Matthew Writing this, she's dead, and so the ruler comes in desperation. What you see is this that the scripture tells us he kneels before Jesus, pleads his daughter's case, and asks only for a single hand to come and touch his daughter so that she may live. And the one thing you sort of have to realize in this passage is that before we were speaking about the authority of Jesus and how he displays his authority through his speaking. But in this passage one of the primary methods of healing and power that is delivered is through his touching when this ruler comes his suffering here isn't that he is dead it's that he is mourning over the loss of his daughter he mourns and grieves just as a father would Now, no parent ought to ever have to consider the thought of burying their daughter, and yet here is this ruler. He suffers in his mourning, and yet what he needs in this immediate time, and not to say that this will solve all of his issues, but in this immediate time, what he needs is true comfort and peace to continue to persevere on behalf of his daughter. Friends, this is akin to any of us who have ever mourned over the death of someone we cared for. That what we don't need often in those times, and yet as Reformed people, we often feel this need is to often give a theological excursus about how death is only temporary, how there's resurrection life, and how everything ought to be good, right? Sometimes you hear that at funerals, like, oh, we should be joyful. And yet the truth of the matter is even Jesus weeps over death, What we need is the promise of resurrection, but the promise of resurrection that is manifested in what? The comfort and the hope that we offer to people in that moment. Because true comfort can only come from the well of knowing the promises of God and resurrection. But we don't lay that out in theological truths and facts, we lay that out in our comfort in someone. Because if you have the hope of Christ in you and resurrection, then you know what it means to be comforted in mourning and in death. And that's something that the secular world can never truly offer. Because what answer do they have for death? And so, what we seek to do then, as what Jesus does ultimately in this passage, is to, seek to com- is, is to seek to comfort, provide assurance in our words and deeds of encouragement. Because we ourselves know in our hearts, hopefully, the comfort of Jesus. And so, this ruler, it's not as if he knows for sure that this is what Jesus can do. He's heard stories, he's listened to accounts. He's read the news. And what he's looking for in this moment is both the decision that Jesus will come to his daughter, as well as the eventual hope that in the coming, Jesus will be able to heal. Look at how Jesus responds. He agrees to go with him. Despite having problems with religious leaders of the land, Jesus is most willing to go and help this man. And this man is probably feeling a sense of relief and comfort and assurance. The healing hasn't happened yet. But this healer, this one that everyone has sort of paraded around said this man can do miracles, this man is coming with him back home to his daughter. And for a brief moment in this ruler's life, his faith in Jesus is giving him peace. No guarantee that Jesus can do this, and yet he is hopeful. In fact, out of all the characters in this story, if you were to really wrestle with this, he's probably the most hopeful in Jesus at this time. How does this faith look like in your lives? Many of us can echo with this ruler and understand his feeling, his feeling of helplessness, his feeling of weakness. He's a father that can't protect and save his own child. How many of us have felt that weakness before? And yet the great hope of the gospel is that in our weakness, Jesus is what? Able to come alongside of us and help us in that struggle. That in our suffering of mourning, We have someone who comes to us in comfort and agrees to help us. And our disposition thus slowly turns towards optimism and hope. It's not misplaced optimism. It's a hope in knowing that the words of Jesus, though not yet fulfilled, for just a moment is enough to get us through the day. Many of us need to look at our lives and our faith and realize that even for the ruler, and eventually for the bleeding woman, Jesus has his timing. But in the immediateness of life, in the sort of present day circumstances of living on this side of eternity, and this side of death, before he will deliver the miracle of healing, Jesus will bring forth the miracle of divine comfort. You know, we sing that song, It Is well With My soul. If you ever look at the backstory of this, Horatio Spafford, who wrote the song, writes the lyrics to the song as he's on a ship that passes by the site where four of his daughters had passed away in a grave boating accident. And in that moment, he's not thinking to himself, oh, I can rejoice knowing that my children are with the Lord. Maybe there's a portion of him. But in that moment, what he's able to find is soulless in the divine comfort that God is able to bring. And that comfort stems ultimately from a future healing that will happen. And that's what we hold on to. Sometimes the best thing for our weak faith in our souls is the comfort of Jesus and the hope of his words that the only thing we can often do is plead for mercy and know that he listens and responds accordingly. We won't feel it, we won't see it, but the Bible tells us that we can take that to heart and know that he is the one who comes to comfort and bring assurance for a future hope that awaits. The second character we have is this bleeding woman who suffers physical bleeding and alienation from her community because of that bleeding. She comes with a weak faith and yet walks away with a transformed identity and a healed body. If you look at verse 20 to 22, behold a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him Jesus and touched the fringe of his garments for she said to herself if I only touch his garment I will be made well Jesus turned and seeing her he said take heart daughter your faith has made you all well. and instantly the woman was made well This woman by all accounts is defined by her illness. She's someone who has suffered from, for most scholars believe it's a menstrual discharge of blood for over 12 years. She has probably spent the bulk of her livelihood, the bulk of her time and her life trying to deal with this issue. Going to different faith healers, going to different doctors, going to the temple asking for healing and restoration. She is ostracized because of her health issues, that people would see her and see an unclean person, and they would take it even further and say, You are cursed by God. Go away from me. And in fact, those who would associate themselves with her, they would too would also be seen as unclean and unworthy to be around with. And thus her illness would also even keep her from being able to worship God, because why? She would not be able to participate in the temple festival. She would not be able to participate in the sacrifices. She would not even be able to come into the temple itself because of her ritual uncleanness. She is a woman who is physically suffering and she is a woman who is alienated from her people and from God. And so when she comes to Jesus, when she hears about Jesus, what's going on is this. It's not as if she has this sort of utmost desire to come to Jesus. She's tried so many different things. If you've been sick for 12 years, after a while, your body wears down and you get sick of fighting. She's unsure of what Jesus can offer, but what other option does she have? She might as well just give it a shot. It's an act of desperation, right? It's akin to a hail mary. If you watch football in 2018, if you watch the last play of the Super Bowl, what happens? The Patriots have the ball. Tom Brady, in all of his magnificent glory, throws the ball, and to everyone's shock and to everyone's surprise, no one's able to catch that ball. It's a last ditch effort. Whereas Tom Brady fails and the city of Philadelphia rejoices, this woman comes to Jesus in her own Hail Mary and hopes that Jesus will be able to deliver and so she acts in faith. And you have to love the description here because it's so specific. She touches the fringe of his garment. She touches the edge. She can't even come before Jesus. Whereas the ruler before came to Jesus, knelt before him and said, Jesus, here I am, come and touch my daughter and heal her. This woman comes behind. She feels she is unworthy to even come into his presence. She feels that she has nothing really to offer. She does this as an act of desperation. And she touches his garments. Other passages say that there's a great crowd that is following around Jesus. Everyone is essentially touching him. And so it's not as if this is something that's new. But she touches him and what happens? Nothing. It seems it was all for not. that for a moment in this woman's mind, for a moment, she thinks to herself, nothing has happened. This Jesus is a fraud. An act of desperation it was, and another check mark it seems for the list of things that didn't work. But then Jesus turns to her. And seeing her for once, not just as an ill person or someone defined by their uncleansiness or their sinfulness, what does he say? He calls her daughter. And he declares that her faith has made you well. See, her identity shifts in that moment from a woman suffering, from a woman defined by her bleeding and her alienation from a community, to now she is a daughter, embraced wholly by God Himself. And the healing happens not at the moment of touching, the healing happens at the moment of encounter when Jesus says, you are a daughter, your faith has made you male, take hearts. And it's after all these things that she is able to be healed. It's easy to look at this passage and go, ha, you just gotta believe in Jesus and you'll be healed, and rightfully so. But it quickly becomes a transactional act. It quickly becomes, if I do this for Jesus, He will come and heal me. If I do this for Jesus, He will give me prosperity and success. If I do this for Jesus, I will get what I want. But that's not what happens. What happens is this that this woman comes and this and Jesus has to encounter her Jesus has to meet her Jesus has to talk to her and declare that you are made anew and so she has faith in the person here faith is displayed of one of trepidation. She feels she's unworthy to come before Jesus to even make her presence known. Her faith is a struggle because she knows she's not worthy to be in the presence of a healer. And yet, here she is ready to get healed. Here she is ready to come to know Jesus, the healer. He heals her not because she's able to give something in response. He heals her because he wants to offer himself to her. And that's why he responds first. And that's why he declares, you are my daughter. Take heart, your faith has made you well. All her life she must have faced rejection because of her physical ailments. And yet for once, for once she is accepted and loved in Jesus. Whereas before the the ruler needed healing in his mourning and grief, a temporary reprieve, here the woman needed healing over such a long period of time. And you really have to imagine, it's not just she was just sick one day and just woke up and decided, I need Jesus. It's 12 years of suffering. Some of us have suffered for so long, whether physically or even spiritually and emotionally, some of us hide it well. The word of the Lord reminds us today that though we don't know the timing of such healing, such healing is promised. And even if all we can do is muster up the strength to hang on to even just the fringe of Jesus, to hang on to even just a little bit of Jesus, still that is enough. Because before he healed the bleeding of this woman, he healed the heart of this woman, reminding her that she was his and he was hers. The question for you as you continue to wrestle with suffering and ailment in your life is that, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you knowing that you are Jesus's and Jesus is yours? Now all of this will be pointless if Jesus is not able to facilitate a resurrection for the dead girl. And when you look at the dead girl in this last portion of the passage, what you have is someone who exemplifies death, both physically, but also spiritually. Because whereas before you have a ruler who is able to come to Jesus and kneel before him and ask for Jesus to come, and whereas right before this you have a bleeding woman who just touches the fringe with just a little bit of her faith, you have a dead girl who offers no faith at all in Jesus Christ. And yet she is the one who is able to walk away alive in Jesus verse 23 through 26 when jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion he said go away for the girl is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him but when the crowd had been put outside he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went throughout all the districts Jesus comes to the ruler house and there is mourning. The flute players here are an indication of the professional mourners that would often be hired to come to such funerals to aid in the expression of grief and mourning cathars- and catharsis. Undoubtedly, many would be wailing and crying. And Jesus comes and he drives them away. He says something interesting. This girl is not dead, but sleeping. The crowd laughs, not as a joke, but mocking Jesus, saying, Jesus, are you blind? Are you dumb? She's dead. But eventually they go away and he comes to the girl. And just like how the father had asked, he comes and he takes her by the hand. A dead girl. He goes and touches. More physical touch here. It's an act of ritual impurity to to touch a dead person's body, and yet Jesus would never let those things stop him. And just like that, this dead girl is no longer dead. She arises. She is awake. And you realize that you have to. Wit- you've you've witnessed something amazing here the power of Jesus Christ, the glory and authority He has, and the ability to do something like this. You know, we have access to, te- to technology that no civilization in history ever has. And we are rapidly evolving in those spheres. And yet what Jesus does is still infinitely more amazing in our modern age. With the mere touch of His hand, just as He had promised her Father, He brings forth resurrection. And what you have to realize is that she contributes nothing to this healing. She is passive in every sense. She has not displayed any faith in Jesus. In fact, it's the Father who had showed the faith before. And yet I argue that as we begin to see this deadness of this girl, what you also begin to see is the deadness of faith itself at times. That as she's physically dead, so also she is dead in faith. She has nothing to offer. It is Jesus who, unlike the woman in the world, it is Jesus who comes to this girl... And it is Jesus who awakens the slumbering girl. And it is Jesus who will awaken all those who are dead in faith in this moment. You will feel like your faith is not there at times. You will feel like your faith in Jesus will sometimes dissolve through your hands because it's so hard to hold on to Him. Hardship and suffering will come. You will fail and sin and grievous ways. You will feel death in your faith just like one day you will feel death in your bones. And to that, Jesus says, you are not dead, you are sleeping. And he will come to your side, take you by your hand, and you will arise. Your faith will be made whole, your body be made whole, you will be whole. Not because you have such tremendous faith to begin with, but because Jesus is just that great to love you and to carry you through. When I was younger, I used to love swimming in pools. Right? And somebody of you guys are going like, don't you hate water? I do. And there's a reason for this. And I think when I was younger, I was at a relative's house and i was in their swimming pool and you know as a young person i didn't know how to swim well and so you know they give you all the sort of accoutrements you need to swim you get the noodle around you that you sort of hang on to and then you got the arm bands that you put around and you hope it keeps you afloat And it was great, it was a a great afternoon, and back then I was a pretty skinny kid. You know, I I was like skin and bones, shockingly. And on this one occasion, the noodle I was on slipped off, right, which would have been okay, but then because I was so skinny, my arms were really skinny, and the arm bends that I had on slipped right off my arms too. Now, naturally, our bodies float. But once you start panicking, what happens? You start to sink. Your muscles tense up, you're pushing out all the air in your body, and you no longer have any sort of buoyancy to keep you up. And so what happens? I panic, I start to sink. And I slowly begin to drown. Now my dad was around at that time, but he looked quite a distance away. And so for in that moment, I had this thought that there's no way my dad's gonna reach me. There's no way that he's gonna be able to pull me out. And so I just sort of just said, what's gonna happen? But lack of faith is a very remarkable thing because it would have only been 10 seconds later that he would actually pull me out of the pool. After realizing all the flotation devices that I had on my body were scattered around the pool, he must have realized, oh shoot, I see all these things floating, but I don't see a body. And this incident definitely made me rethink my own relationship with water afterwards. But I, I say those things because oftentimes, oftentimes we feel like we get nothing, we have nothing to place our faith in God. We we feel so dead sometimes, we feel like there's nothing to hold on to. We can walk ten thousand steps the other direction and we think that's far enough. We think we could spend a lifetime away from God and we think that's enough for him to say, you can go. You can be dead in the water. And yet still Christ will come for you. You walk 10,000 steps that way, he will walk 10,000 steps you dive into the deepest plunges of your life, not knowing what's gonna happen, he too will dive with you. He will come and he will deliver. He came for this girl who had no idea who he was. He rescued her. He brought her back to life. And from that moment on, her life was changed. Jesus mourns with us, becomes impure and ill for us, and he ultimately dies for us. For the purpose of bringing about resurrection life, not only for himself, but for all those who believe in him. Jesus' compassion for those who come to him is apparent. People come for varying reasons. Their motives may not initially be for Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospel accounts, the one thing you sort of get away with is, wow, people come for a lot of different things, but very seldom does it seem that people come because they want to know who Jesus is, to be frank. People come for a benefit, healing, comfort, resurrection. And yet he doesn't care. Because when they encounter him, when they come before him, they realize for an instant, huh, what I thought I wanted is nothing compared to what is in front of me. What I thought I wanted was temporary respite away from the things of the world. Physical healing so that I can be okay in this world. But what this Jesus does is that he's the real deal. He's the true comfort, He's the true healing, and He's ultimately the true resurrection. And we tear away in these things because in our suffering, hoping for Jesus to bring victory. But what he offers before he brings the benefits of all of those things, what he offers before he brings healing and comfort and resurrection is he offers himself. That once you encounter him, once you have him, once you're captivated by him, then you can have what he offers. But that's because he gives that to you because you are his. But oftentimes in our Christian life, we want it the other way. We want the benefits of Jesus so that somehow we think, oh, if we have these things that Jesus offers, maybe we'll finally want Jesus. But that's not the case. And in fact, what you see is that what Jesus has to do for all these things to happen, what Jesus has to do so that healing can truly happen, so that he can espouse his authority and show his glory over those things is that he must come and not only heal, but embrace those things that he is driving away. To embrace mourning, to embrace physical and spiritual suffering, and ultimately to embrace death. When you look at Jesus, all this points ultimately to his own suffering that he must endure. That proceeding and up to the point of his death, he is utterly abandoned with no one to comfort him, no one to give him words of assurance, no one to give him any hope. That at the point of the cross, his body is broken with no one to provide healing or even a community to stand with him in those final moments. And ultimately, he dies alone, forsaken by God and his people. And yet death is not final. If it were so, then all the things that we look for in hope and comfort are worthless and pointless. Death would only be the beginning because resurrection would ensue in Jesus, ensuring that all those who are united to Him, all those who believe in Him with what little faith they can muster together could find future promise and joy and resurrection that He will one day bring. True comfort, true healing, new life awaits those who call upon His name. And so we take that to heart. That in whatever a state you find yourself, be reminded that even in the weakness and the deadness of your faith, Jesus is still authority over your sufferings and ailments and even over your death. All that he demands is that you declare that he is Lord and that he is yours. We are reminded ultimately of Jesus who conquers over all things. He does so, not so that you can simply receive benefits of knowing him, but that you can know him yourself and realize that he himself is better than everything that can be imagined in this world. May we hold on to and press forward in all these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, remind us of life that is found in you. Remind us that you hold the world in your hands. And still, Lord, you chase after us. You want us so much. May we, O Lord, come before you crying out for you to come and heal and save our lives. May we, O Lord, come before you knowing, O Lord, of just how good and precious Jesus is. That he who conquered death by embracing death itself will be the one to give us new life. May that change us, may that transform us, remind us of who you are. We pray this by the power of your Son's name. Amen. Receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Here to dismissal, let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. Let's move.